the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in my Father's love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. What is joy? Is joy the first word of a Christmas carol? A woman's name? The formula I learned as a child, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you, or something deeper than happiness, abiding in divine love is the source of the deep joy, Jesus says. And my deep joy is what will make your joy complete, he adds, when everything else in our world is fleeting and disposable. Is this the kind of joy that will truly last? A joy that is long-lasting? We all know, know those commercials that promise things, detergent or gum or something that will be long-lasting. And how is this even possible in a world that is driven by competition and division? The Book of Joy Lasting happiness in a changing world. It was recommended to me last year, but, and it's been on my shelf. But I started reading this book of joy this past week so that I might wise up a bit on the meaning of true joy. Now, here's the thing about this book. It tells of a delightful week of conversation spent between two spiritual mentors and masters of our day, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Both have received a Nobel Peace Prize. Both have known their share of suffering. Tutu lived under apartheid in South Africa and then led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The Dalai Lama was exiled with other refugees from Tibet to India. For many reasons, I am intrigued by their marvelous and sometimes playful, delightful friendship, but also for the way their conversation brings Buddhism and Christianity into dialogue. 
Many of us turn outside ourselves to outward things, thinking that they will bring us contentment. But as the Dalai Lama says, everyone seeks happiness, joyfulness, but from outside, from money, from power, from a big car, from a big house. Most people never pay attention to the ultimate source of a happy life, which is inside, not outside. Even the source of physical health is inside, not outside. The Dalai Lama goes on to say that as a Buddhist, and thus a non-believer, right? Because Buddhists don't believe in God, in a being a God in the same way. He's aware that there are one billion non-believers in our world who also seek happiness and who try to find this in ways apart from traditional religious faith. A good reminder to all of us. Archbishop Tudu notes that as fragile creatures, we discover true joy from that place of weakness within us, that place of vulnerability, from the challenges, from the adversities that life brings us. He says you just don't decide to be joyful one day. In his words, if you are setting out to be joyful, you are not going to end up being joyful. You're going to end up being turned in on yourself. It's like a flower. You are open, you blossom, really because of other people. And I think some suffering, maybe even intense suffering, is a necessary ingredient for life, certainly for developing compassion. In a paradoxical kind of way, it is how we face all the things that seem to be negative in our lives that determines the kind of person we become. Yet dealing with life's hardships, whether in our personal lives, our marriages, in our jobs, it affects us differently, doesn't it? As the piece is about mental health month, in our bulletin note, removing the stigma of mental illness is an important start. And so are the ways that loved ones can be supportive and seek help themselves and remain hopeful. As I think about it, the challenge for me and maybe for all of us is that we expect our lives to always go well, that life will always work out, that we'll be happy, that we'll be healthy, but it's just not the way it always is. Speaking of feeling good and the hope that everything will last, earlier this spring, I heard a speaker talk about something called urban float. Now that's not something with ice cream and soda. It is a personal float tank, an individualized pool where customers float in purified water and 1,200 pounds of dissolved Epsom salts. It delivers proven physical, mental, and emotional benefits. So for $90 plus tax, you can strip down climb into a briny but purified personal tank and float far from the cares of the world for up to 60 minutes. <laughs> now, it's interesting to me that the Holy Trinity tagline on our website uses three R words 
reverent, relevant, real. But urban float also uses three R words. Renew, refresh, revive. Whoa, those are spiritual words. Those words are in our hymns and in our liturgies. They're in sermons. And it sounds like the way we talk about baptism. But one person who did urban float said, when they talked about their experience, it's great when you're in the water, but when you get out, it doesn't last. Or another person said, I simply didn't want to get out. Now the conference presenter who was talking about urban float, Paul Hoffman, describes our desire to stay in our personal comfortable float tanks or our personal congregational float tank. He says, the powerful denial of homeostasis lulls us into the complacency of inertia. We do not want to get out of the patterns, out of the habits that are killing us, but it all begins with the death. What's he talking about? Well, baptism begins with the death. Day by day, something in us needs to die. Yet we don't want to get out of the personal tank. We don't want to get out of our comfort zones. So we close ourselves off from risk. We close ourselves off from transformation. We close ourselves off from growth. However, the baptismal life is about well, it's about getting out of the tank. It's about new beginnings. It's about letting go. It's about dying and rising. It's about abiding in something greater than ourselves, something that endures. It is about moving beyond self to the needs of the world. And it is about bearing fruit that will last which leads to some final words of wisdom from the Dalai Lama. Many people think of suffering as a problem. Actually, it is an opportunity that destiny has given you. In spite of difficulties and suffering, you can remain firm and maintain your composure. And from Desmond Tutu. What the Dalai Lama and I are offering is a way of handling your worries, thinking about others. You can think of others who are in similar situations, or perhaps even worse a situation, but who have survived, even thrived. It does help quite a lot to see yourself as part of a greater whole. Our greatest joy is when we seek to do good for others. As one theologian put it, faith is a journey toward the world. We are born in the waters of baptism, in those waters for a life beyond ourselves with a purpose that will truly last. So when I, when we, when you are troubled by inertia, by the absence of joy all around us, we come again here to find nourishment in community, nourishment through those waters, nourishment at this table. We abide. We abide in God's never-ending faithfulness. We abide in a love stronger than death. And as that divine love flows through us 
and through us and from us. We bear fruit, fruit that will last. 